Churches don't have young people. Our young people are bringing their friends with them. So, hey, hallelujah. Amen. Today is Pentecost Sunday. And uh, we love the sunshine, we love the summer, but this screen becomes more and more useless the more the sun shines. <laughs> it's just one of those things. Sorry about that. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, we often sing, you are welcome here, but we say it again today, right now, because we trust you, Holy Spirit, to come and help us and to teach us and to lead us to Jesus, to the truth, to obedience, to greater growth in our faith in him. Help us. Thank you that you, in great humility, are delighted to be our helper. We bless you, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So I'm going to start by reading part of Acts chapter 1, and then rather like you go around a running track, after a while we'll come back to that again. Okay. Uh, Acts chapter 2, we had quite a lot of that read to us earlier with the, the uh, you know, it was, it was scripture reading, it was just with a lot of animations as well to help you to think. All right. Acts chapter 1 verse 6. Jesus is with the disciples. It's 40 days after his resurrection and crucifixion. Uh, crucifixion and resurrection. 40 days later, 40 days after Passover. And they're standing on the Mount of Olives, just outside Jerusalem. And when they'd come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it this time you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons, epochs, which the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power. Now it's interesting that because that's the same word. Authority and power are the same word. You will receive authority when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. When he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. Guess who they were? Angels, thank you. And they said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. So it's, Pentecost Sunday, 50 days or seven weeks after Passover, Easter. The video we watched earlier gave you much of Acts 2 and the events that happened on that day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came upon those first disciples as Jesus had promised. But Pentecost wasn't invented by Christianity. Pentecost was a Hebrew festival before it became marked for us by the coming of the Holy Spirit upon the church. Pentecost was in the Hebrew calendar, Shavuot, excuse me if I pronounce Hebrew badly, or Feast of Weeks. Feast of Weeks. You counted seven weeks on from Passover and you came to the Feast of Weeks 50 days later. It was the day upon which they began to harvest grain. And on that first day of the grain harvest, they took a sheaf of grain and they took it into the temple and waved it before the Lord. 
and another sheaf of grain was taken and ground to make flour, and two loaves were baked, and they were waved before the Lord in the temple as well. It was, it was, we thank you, Lord, that you have given us the first fruits of this harvest. And then after they had presented the first fruits of the harvest, they could then go and gather in the rest of the harvest. There's an interesting job being a priest because sometimes you were kind of sacrificing animals and sometimes you're grinding up grain to make flour and bread. But that's what they did on that day. So it's significant for us because on the day of Pentecost, we read in Acts 2, they were all gathered together in one place, which is to, which is to say this, the first fruits of Jesus' people, his harvest from the world, were gathered together in one place. And the Holy Spirit came upon them. Jesus had his first fruits gathered on that day. And while they kind of, they didn't wave before the Lord, the Holy Spirit blew them around a bit. Yeah? They were kind of, they were blown around a bit by this, this mighty rushing wind and these tongues of fire. And they were really, they sensed the house was shaken. I think they were a bit shaken too. Wouldn't you have been? And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in an unknown, every one of them in a different unknown language. Fifty days after his crucifixion at Passover, they were that sheaf and those, what those loaves had foreshadowed. Why two loaves? Why two loaves? Well, if you read Ephesians, for instance, you find this. Jew and Gentile who once were completely irreconcilable in Jesus are made one loaf, Amen. one body, one new man. There is no more distinction between Jew and Gentile. Now that makes a problem for all kinds of people's ideas about eschatology and about the last days and so on. Because in Jesus, there is no longer Jew or Gentile. We are one new man, made one. So now the church is not two loaves. There isn't a Jewish church and a Gentile church. There is one new man, one loaf in Christ Jesus. So the first fruits is the beginning of harvest. There's more to come in, more to be gathered in. And guess what? That's exactly what Jesus says both at, on, the, on, on the Mount of Olives and before when he gave them the Great Commission, which is probably up in Nazareth. You know, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. Why? Because there's a harvest out there. If there's first fruits, there's harvest. And guess what? The harvest isn't finished yet. I'm going to get you there. You'll have, to, you'll have to keep up with me. All right. The harvest from the nations of people coming to believe in and obey Jesus has gone a long way from that time. And in recent times has advanced rapidly in some places, but is not in, maybe not so rapidly in others, but it is not yet complete. That, by the way, is why we are still here and why Jesus has not come. You can argue all kinds of things. Well, this has got to happen, that's got to happen, Middle East, whatever. No, the big reason, the number one reason why Jesus has not yet returned is because his harvest isn't finished. Hallelujah. There are still more people to be brought to him, to bow in faith, to bow in obedience to his kingship. That's why he hasn't come. Do you understand that when it says in Peter, the, the, you know, day with the Lord is like a thousand years. The Lord is patient towards you. He's not delaying his coming. Because he wants all to come to repentance. Yes. Amen. Right? There's still more to be brought in. Yes. Right? Forget the other stuff. That's the key reason why the, the, the coming of the Lord Jesus is delayed. 
Nothing to do with the, with the world societies, nothing to do with politics, nothing to do with national nationalities or geogra geography. It's to do with the harvest of the nations, which has got a way yet to go. But there, upon the first fruits of the harvest of Jesus, the gathering of a people to himself from every nation, from every language, from every people group, every society, upon the first fruits that day, the Holy Spirit came and filled them. Now let's think about the Holy Spirit coming on the day of Pentecost. That's an interesting picture because there's a kind of like this swirling fire going around the heads of these believers. I kind of like that. It's a different picture. Does the Holy Spirit coming on the day of Pentecost mean he wasn't around until then? No. Good. So he didn't remain in heaven with nothing to do on earth because if we compare the coming of the Lord Jesus to the coming of the Holy Spirit, we see that Jesus was around and involved long before he was born of the Virgin Mary. He was present at creation. He appeared to men on many occasions during many centuries as the messenger of Yahweh, as the captain of the Lord's army, as Yahweh himself in visible, physical form. Both God the Son and God the Holy Spirit were present and active with God the Father in creation. God the Son continued through the centuries as messenger and mediator of the Godhead until he came as a man. And the Holy Spirit continued to be the agent of bringing God's authority, which is the same word as power, since we think of power as an impersonal thing, like, like electricity, we need to get back to that word authority because it gives us more understanding about what we're talking about here. God doing something by his authority. He speaks and it happens. And it's the Holy Spirit who makes it happen. It's his authority that brings it about. He inspired people, he equipped people, he strengthened people, kings, prophets, warriors, and so on. One of our problems in understanding how God works, is that we are bound up in time and we imagine God is too. God is eternal. He is both in time and outside of time. All right? He and his nature is not confined to time any, any more than, you know, he's confined to kind of three dimensions. Uh, yesterday, today, tomorrow, we think about, we think about past, present and future, but God was, is and will be. He always was and he always will be. He's both timely and timeless. He's the eternal one. So we kind of need to step out of our way of thinking. You know, there's an there's a expression in Old English, the Scots still use it. He's out with time. He's not confined by it in the way that we are. What did Jesus come to do? I want to rattle off a few things here and then compare. What did Jesus come to do? What, the Holy, what did the Holy Spirit come to do? If I, I gave my... my talk this morning, a cheeky title, but I didn't I checked out in the end. It was the Holy Spirit came. Why? Hadn't Jesus done it all on the cross? A lot of people seem to think like that. Some evangelicals seem like, you know, well, we don't really need the Holy Spirit now because it all happened. And so on. We don't need the gifts of the Spirit or the, or, or, or the, the remarkable uh, uh, supernatural work of the Holy Spirit because, you know, it's all, we've, we've got it all now. Well, if, I, if we've got it all, I'm not impressed. What did Jesus come to do? He came to show us the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He came to bring us to the Father, to bring us back, to rescue us, to restore us back to what was lost in the Garden of Eden. Intimate knowledge of God, community, 
with God, communion with God, being children of God, knowing the love of a father towards us. He came to bring us back to the Father. To achieve that, he came to put away sin and make peace. And that came at a terrible price. We sang about it earlier, you know. Behold the man upon the cross, my sin upon his shoulders and so on. We sang about it. Terrible cost. It's called the crucifixion, the atonement, the redemption. Jesus died, gave himself, broken body, poured out blood, to put away our sin, our offense, the thing that kept us from God, our rebellion, and to bring us back into peace and relationship. He came to free us from fear, every kind of fear. Fear of death, it talks about fear of... Uh, but all, every kind of fear. To bring us into freedom as the children of God. To break our bonds. To, to liberate the prisoners. Yeah. Yes? Amen. Yeah. Hallelujah. You know? We sing it, break every chain, break every chain. It's true. He came so that we might have every chain of bondage broken. That's the power of the gospel. He came to give us new life. Particularly by his resurrection from the dead. So that his life is now spilled over into our lives. He communicates his life to us. Bring us into new life. To, to embrace that fully, we have to forsake our old way of life. I'm not going back to that again. You know, I've, I'm embracing this new life in Jesus. That's what we do in baptism. We bury an old life. Flush it down the sewer. And embrace a new life in Jesus. He came to rule over us as king and shepherd. Our Lord, our master. A guide, a leader. You know, I don't mind you showing some respect and calling me Pastor David, but you have one shepherd and it's not me. All right? I don't mind. I appreciate that what you mean to do by that. But you have one Lord and his name is David. It's Jesus. Amen. He came to be our ruler with loving, shepherding care. To be a captain who doesn't kick us when we fall over, but picks us back up again. And finally, Jesus came, yet in the future, he will return again to raise us from the dead and bring us home to his eternal kingdom and to our inheritance in his kingdom. My little children, my little flock, he says, it's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. We will shine like the sun in the kingdom of our Father. That will happen. So what did the Holy Spirit come to do in Pentecost? The Holy Spirit came to bring God's presence to us since Jesus was now returning to the Father. Jesus said, I'll send you another comforter, just like me, and he will be with you all the time. I'm going away, but I'm not going to leave you alone. I'll send the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit came to bring God's presence to us and the presence of Jesus to us. He came to lead us to Jesus. I, I, let me just quote some of John's Gospel as we go along here. We, I preached through it and it's still very fresh in my mind. You know, Jesus said, he will glorify me. He will take from what is mine and reveal it to you. He leads us to Jesus. You see, the Holy Spirit is amazingly humble and he doesn't talk about himself. He always talks about Jesus. Yeah? He always references you to him. Why? Because we are made 
to become like Jesus. And we need to keep looking at Jesus. We need to keep observing him and admiring him and worshipping him and serving him so that we are drawn again and again to him. He's God-made flesh. He hasn't given up being a man. He's eternally the man, Christ Jesus. So the Holy Spirit keeps pushing us to Jesus. He also came to work salvation in us. In fact, the very process of you becoming a Christian is not about you making decisions, really. It's about the Holy Spirit leading you and directing you and prompting you and convincing you and persuading you and challenging you until you get it, until the light goes on. And then, and then, he, then he energizes you and he causes you to be born again. Then he keeps working in you. It's called sanctification. He keeps saying, let me talk to you about this now. We're going to, we're going to sort this out. Yeah. You know? yeah. uh, now, you, you, did you get angry then? Are we going to do you know? He continues to form us and change us. We're being changed from one degree of glory into another. By what? By the Spirit. Says Corinthians. He works salvation in us. He works freedom. He works righteousness. He keeps building us in relationship to the Father and in right behavior, which is, which is appropriate to being a child of God. It's his work in us. It, it's not us self-improving. We are, we are being led by and cooperating with the Holy Spirit. Yeah? yeah. We're not self-made people. We're spirit-led people. Yes. Yeah. Amen. Then he came to speak God's mind to us. And he did that first of all through scripture, which is, which is written, and it's established, and it's firm, and it's secure. It's thoroughly authoritative. It's inspired word of God by the Holy Spirit. But he speaks to us from scripture and in agreement with scripture. And he can speak to us in our mind. You know, I, for me, if the Lord starts talking to me, it's a kind of like, I'm not saying you have to have the same thing. You maybe don't. Some people hear an audible voice. Through my mind, there's like this ticker tape that goes, tick, 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 and I, I, I'm, I'm like I'm reading a sentence. And I, I know the Lord's getting my attention. And, and sometimes I'm, I'm not paying attention. And it, it's, like, it's like it gets louder. You know, it's like... It, and I've even been driving. And I've had to pull over because I'm OK, Lord, you're talking to me. I'm sorry. All right, I'm listening. Um, the Lord, the Holy Spirit will speak to us. He's not voiceless. And it's an inner voice. And it's one we need to pay attention to because it often is contrary to the, a lot of the voices we're hearing the rest of the time. Yes. He will speak to us in agreement with what he's already spoken. The Holy Spirit will never defy, deny, or contradict Scripture because no. it's his word too. Yes. He cannot speak in any way which is contradictory to the word of God, to the Scriptures. He came to equip and empower us. In other words, to make us more than merely human. Oh, I'm only human. No, you're not. <laughs> not if you're born of God and filled with the Spirit. Amen. You are empowered to be more than merely human. Yes. Oh, I can't help that. Yes, you can help. Yes. Because you are empowered by the Holy Spirit. Yes. Yeah? It's not about strength in you. It's strength from Him. Yes. He came to equip and empower us both by enabling us with, with, with his grace to change and to grow and so on, but also with lifelong skills. You read them in a... I'm not, I don't want to go through all the gifts of the New Testament, but let me just tell you the three main gifts, lists of gifts in the New Testament. If Romans 12, which are things that God has formed in you. He's wired you that way. 
You're a mercy shower. You're a teacher. You're an administrator. You're made that way. I can't help but think, you know, biblically and theologically. God wired me like that. I, you know, I, I can't even turn it off. I'll be driving and I'm sermonizing. Yeah? It's just there. And God's wired you in a certain way. You really care about people. And, you, you know, you almost want to kind of dial down sometimes. Oh, I'll stop that for a while. The things God has made, they are character gifts. They're part of who he's made you to be from your mother's womb. That's the Romans 12 list particularly. Then there's an Ephesians 4 list of the people that God gives to his church to bring leadership and direction to his church. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. And they don't do things so that everybody else doesn't have to. They equip people for works of service. They exist to provoke uh, you know, the, the, the whole body of Christ to be active and engaged and involved in fulfilling what they are called to be and to do. Yeah? So evangelists help us to be evangelistic and prophets help us to be prophetic. They don't just do all the prophesying to us, they help us to be prophetic. Yes. That's the way those gifts work. And again, that's a calling of God. God gives that person. He doesn't give a person a gift. He gives the person as a gift to the church. That's the, that's the way that that's expressed. There. Then there's a list in 1 Corinthians 12 about gifts of the Spirit. And there are gifts of the Spirit. Concerning spiritual gifts, they're his gifts. And he distributes them, it says in 1 Corinthians 12, again and again, individually, on occasions, whenever he wills. So you don't have a gift of healing or a gift of, you know, you, the Holy Spirit gives one when, every time he wants to. Yeah? Every little word of prophecy is a gift of prophecy. You know? Every word of knowledge is a word, is a word of knowledge, is a word of wisdom. I don't have a word of wisdom, but I sometimes do speak words of wisdom to people because I listen to the Holy Spirit, he doesn't want to say and I say it. Because oh, that was really good, you know, nothing to do with me. It just popped into my head. Yeah? Because there was, there was a need there and someone needed some advice and I said, well, what do I say to them? Okay, I'll say this. And I, sometimes I'm just plain, you know, simple enough to say the first thing that comes into my head and see if it's God. Yeah? And if it isn't, I'll say, sorry, no, no didn't mean any harm. <laughs> Gifts of the Holy Spirit, individually, severally, as he wills. We've, I don't know how people can expand scripture and miss that. Every single one of those is a droplet of grace from the Holy Spirit, giving it whenever he wants to, again and again and again and again. So those are the list. But all of those need to be done by his enabling, his equipping. All right? He came to equip and empower us, but not just for those gifts and ministries and... and, and way of life, as particular skills, particular character things. He came to equip us for everyday life, 24-7, Monday through Friday. Remember those days? Yeah? The Holy Spirit came to equip us for life. Not just for church. He also came to teach us and inspire us. Oh, I've gone too quickly there. He came to teach us and inspire us. Jesus said he will lead you into all the truth. He'll put it before you and then help you to embrace it and then until you start to live in it. He'll lead you into all the truth, the Holy Spirit. Among the gifts that the Holy Spirit brings to us are gifts of inspired speech. So we may speak as they did in Acts 
two, at times in a language which is unknown to us. We can prophesy, we can speak in our own language words of encouragement and inspiration and edification, building up to one another. We can, we can prophesy to one another. And sometimes, and let me be honest with you, I kind of prophesy and I don't let on I'm prophesying. I just do it. I don't go, whoa, hallelujah. You know, <laughs> uh, you know and, and thus says the Lord or whatever. I just, I just kind of spill things out sometimes, even when, even when I'm not preaching. I just think, I, it comes to my mind and I think, I'll say this. And it just happens, all right? I don't think I need to ring a bell every time. Okay, prophecy coming. <laughs> just do it. And, and prophecy can happen in a conversation. Because if you're listening to the Holy Spirit, how do I help this person here? And he puts some words in your mouth and you speak them out and they receive them and they help by them. Guess what? That was prophetic, folks. You didn't need to speak in King James English to do it. And we are to pray and praise with particular, specific inspiration. How many of you know you can pray, and sometimes you can really pray, because, boy, the, you know, it's like the wind is in your sail. The Holy Spirit inspires you, pushes you. And the last one here is, uh, the Holy Spirit is given, just as Jesus was sent to us, to eventually raise us from death at the command of the Lord Jesus on the last day. Jesus commands it, the Holy Spirit does it. Just as creation. When there is recreation and regeneration of this world and you are raised from the dead, Jesus will send his word and the Holy Spirit will make it happen. You'll be raised by the same spirit who raised Jesus from the dead. Hey, that's something the same spirit gets to raise me from the dead. You know? Isn't that a privilege? Wow. So is there a sign or evidence that someone has received the Holy Spirit? I believe there is both initial evidence and a continuing evidence. Right? Um, and the initial evidence is, and I'm quoting here from our standpoint as Elim, we say the initial evidence of receiving the Holy Spirit is inspired speech. All right? That something happens this thing. <laughs> if you read James, you find this thing is terrible. It says it's a flame of fire set, set on flame set on fire by hell. It does all kinds of wicked things. It blesses God and then it cusses its neighbor, you know, and, and it's like, yeah, this tongue. So a remarkable thing, when you are filled with the Spirit, this tongue starts to do something quite different. It starts to bless God. It starts to give thanks. It starts to declare his wonderful works. And it does so either in, 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 by inspiration in your language or by taking you to language you have never learned and do not know. So you don't even understand what you're saying unless the Holy Spirit gives, the, gives you some feedback about it. you know. But it's inspired speech. Now, most of the occasions in the New Testament when, when people were filled with the Spirit, they spoke in an unknown language. They spoke in tongues. But other times it more generally says they, 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 they praised or prophesied. So to be a fair, we say inspired speech. But most occasions it was this stepping over into speaking in a language they did not know, they had never learned. And these were human tongues. Remember, book Day of Pentecost, these the, the 120 people in the upper room, a bit more than in the picture we showed earlier, 120 people in the upper room, they fill with the Holy Spirit. They spill out onto the street somehow. I don't, know, I don't know what prompted them to kind of rush out into the street. But they're out in the street. And they 
I imagine them being like this, you know, they, they are so caught up in loving Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit's filled them and they're overflowing with joy and, 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 and they're de declaring God's great works, you know. And people from all over the Middle East and, and, and Southern Europe are there who'd come to the festivals, you know, Passover and, and, and the Feast of Weeks, and they're hearing people doing this in their language. Some pretty weird languages among them, too. And they're thinking, these people are from northern Israel. They're from up north, you know. And they're talking my language. How did they get to learn my language? They don't even know it now. But they're speaking it by the Spirit. They don't know the language. They're being given the language. In that moment, moment by moment, by the Holy Spirit. And they were human, known languages. Speaking in tongues should not be gibberish. Yeah? It's not saying la, 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 la. It's actually speaking in another language. That's the initial evidence. Inspired speech. This thing gets turned to a whole new purpose. You've still got to deal with the old stuff about it as well, right? But this gets a whole new inspiration to bless God. Second one, the continuing evidence is this. Empowered life. An empowered life. A spirit-filled, spirit-led, spirit-equipped life. Life in the spirit and the scriptures is not actually about prophesying all day. It's about living with your spouse and your family and conducting yourself in your workplace as a spirit-led and empowered person. I'm going to give you the headlines. I'm going to read the scriptures to you from Ephesians 5 and 6. This is a whole passage about a spirit-filled life. You might be surprised by this. You might be embarrassed by this. Let's have a bit of fun, shall we? Ephesians 5, starting with... Uh, Verse 15 to 16 of Ephesians 5. Be careful how you walk, that's way of life, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. It says, be filled with the Spirit. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. It just wastes time and energy and is no good for you. Yeah, it's dissipation. But be filled with the Spirit. Yes. Worship and thankfulness. When you're filled with the Spirit, guess what happens? Inspired speech, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. Inspired worship, thanksgiving, speaking to one another these things, to encourage one another, build one another. There's prophetic in there as well. Inspired speech. Okay, but then it suddenly becomes really very down to earth. It says, be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the saviour of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be to the husbands in everything. Husbands! Love your wives, 
Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle. Spots are adolescence and wrinkles are old age, yes? Or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and will be joined to his wife, and they will become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife, even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Employees, it says here, slaves. Slaves, be obedient to those who are masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling. In the sincerity of your heart, as to Christ, not by way of eye service. You only, you only get busy when the boss starts. Yeah? As, not as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. With good will, render service as to the Lord and not to men. Knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. Employers and masters, do the same things to them and give up threatening knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. How many of you know that it's a fight of faith to live as a Christian? So Paul says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. How? Through the Holy Spirit. Put on the full armor of God so that you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenless. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist an evil day. And having done everything to stand firm, stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and being put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, in addition to all, take up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. I'm not going to preach all that to you. Then pray in the Spirit. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. Pray with the Spirit's inspiration. Chiefly, I would suggest to you, that means pray often in tongues. Pray in a way that you don't know how to pray unless the Holy Spirit helps you to pray. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. Pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in change, that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. All of that... Husbands, wives, children, fathers, employers, employees. What we call spiritual warfare, but the Holy Spirit doesn't fight. We fight with his help. His life in the Spirit. All of that is life in the Spirit. It's one argument. Every one of us plays at least one of those roles. 
wife, husband, child, parent, employee, employer. Every one of us is in, is in the fight of faith to stand firm and to continue on as a Christian. This is about us. This is about real life. And being a spiritual Christian is not an escape from real life. It's being equipped for real life. It's not retreating to, 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 to kind of a happy place somewhere else. It's being filled with the Spirit so you deal with the life that you live. By the God's grace and by the empowering person and presence of the Holy Spirit. I want to suggest this to you. There is not one department of life which the Holy Spirit is not wanting to fill. Except for those departments which need to be closed down. Since they are not appropriate for a child of God. He wants to fill everything except the things he can't fill because they need to close. Yeah. The door needs to close on that yeah. room. Yeah. When we talk about a spirit-filled life, it's more than exercising gifts of the spirit. It's about living in the spirit 24-7. Being a Holy Spirit-equipped and empowered believer, dealing with real life with the help of God with the wisdom of God. This is not about a history lesson going back to Acts 2. This is present reality. God has not changed and does not change. The work of the Holy Spirit within the purpose of our God in three persons is to have a great community of mature children to himself which has not changed one bit from the beginning of time. God's purpose is to make people who are his children living his way in his world. Now we live with imperfection with fallenness and one day the world will have to be remade and we will inhabit a new creation but even now we're not to live without knowing the real day to day hour by hour help of the grace of God and the spirit of God we're not designed to live any other way it's not do your best and we'll see how it works out it's depend upon the Holy Spirit constantly much of what the Holy Spirit does for us in the New Covenant, he did in the Old Covenant. But here's the difference. The prophecy of Joel was, I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh, everyone, every believer, male and female, employers and employees, old and young. Not just the king and a prophet and maybe that priest, all of God's people. That's the power of this New Covenant promise. You know, Jesus, uh, so Pentecost didn't happen to them back then. It's, it's for us today. The same empowering coming upon of the Holy Spirit to equip us for life. I want you to remember two dimensions whenever we talk about all the work of Christ, all the work of the Holy Spirit. Two dimensions. I want you to help remember this picture, in fact. Every truth in the Gospel, every truth in the New Testament has both a personal impact and a corporate impact. And you need to hold both of them all the time. Right? So, for instance, let's take the example of love, of love of Christ or the love of God. Jesus, Paul says in Galatians, loved me and gave himself for me. Personal. In Galatians, he says, Ephesians rather, he says, Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. They are both true and absolutely true. Personal and corporate. 
So if I, if I, if I relish the love of Jesus for me, I have to recognize and be, be, be settled in my heart. He loves everyone else around me. My brothers and sisters just the same yes. as he loves me. Yes. Amen. And I need to treat them well because they are also his. Yes. Yes. Yeah? Yes. My body, Corinthians, is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Right? This is not a temple of the Holy Spirit, this building, but my body is. I, as an individual Christian, am a temple of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I need to be careful about what I do with this body because God lives in here. But in Ephesians, Paul says, the church, the community, is the temple of God's Holy Spirit. Both are absolutely true. You don't rub one out for the other one. You've got to hold them both like this. This is true about me. This is true of the church. Therefore, that influences the way I behave as a Christian. I need to be committed to a local church. I need to engage with a local church. I need to fellowship with other brothers and sisters because Christ loves the church, not just me. And God fills the church with His Spirit, not just me. There's nothing wrong with emphasizing the individual and personal issues of the gospel. But if you neglect the corporate ones, you're out of balance, folks. You're out of balance. You're, you're walking like this, which I find hard at the moment because I've got a bad foot. But anyway, I shouldn't have done that. That's going to hurt. Um, you've got to hold both. And maybe you need to do some wrestling in your mind with this. Personal corporate, personal corporate. David said, you know, keep a hold of this. Keep asking. So when you handle scripture, am I seeing it both ways? This applies to me, but it also applies to us. And if it applies to us, I have a responsibility to help it happen with us. I need to encourage it. And if God blesses me in some way and gives me some, some, some build-up in my heart today, I need to make sure I'm communicating that to my friends so they are helped too. The comfort, the strength that God strengthens you with, you have to pass on. Not just, oh, that's really nice. I like that. God help us. God came, Jesus came to deliver us from selfishness and self-interest. I don't care how some people preach it. It's not about me, 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 me. Gimme, 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 gimme. It's about being a family who share in the life of God and the grace of God and power of the authority of God by the Spirit together again and again and again and again. I got something this morning from the Scriptures. Who can I share it with? Who can I, who can I encourage? You know, maybe I'll even get back into blogging or tweeting after all this time when I've been off it. But, so, you know, I pass things on as well. God's love is personal and corporate. The atonement and the new covenant are personal and corporate. My body and the whole body of Christ, the temples of the Holy Spirit, never take in Scripture something to yourself personally with also, also seeing it applies to all your brothers and sisters too. Life in the Spirit is a shared life, a common life. It's together. Okay, you really can't see that. That's Acts 1 verse 8 with some flags in the middle. But let me quote it to you. <laughs> But you will receive authority after the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Judea, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth, yes? Interestingly, England's in the middle there, or Britain, UK, the, the British flag is in the middle there. But when Jesus said it, it would have had, you know, the, the Jerusalem pennant and then working out from there. That is precisely what began to happen from the day of Pentecost onwards. The disciples, filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking in foreign languages unknown to them, spilled out. People saw them, heard them declaring God's work in their languages. 
and they gathered around and Peter preached the gospel to them. And when you get to the end of that chapter, chapter 2, guess, guess what? A church which was, well, there were 120 people in the upper room. There were probably about 500 believers altogether around, somewhere around at that time. The church grew from, let's say, 500 to guess how many? 3,500 that one day. That one day. Now, the Holy Spirit came, why? To equip them to see something as remarkable as that happen. Peter didn't do it. It wasn't his preaching. It wasn't his knowledge of Scripture. It was the work of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit caused 3,000 people that day to believe the gospel and to be baptized and to join. They were added to the church. The church exploded that day. In fact, the church grew over the coming months until the Jerusalem authorities had to take notice. There were probably as many as 10,000 Christians in Jerusalem. They began to be a significant minority that people got to worried about. These Christians are becoming bad news for us. I want to put this to you as well. Again, this is my statement. The Holy Spirit was not given just to make church more interesting. The Holy Spirit was not given just to make church more interesting. He was given to equip the church for her task in the world. Amen. See, when you get filled with him, you're full of joy, you're full of God, you spill out into his world. You go and take it somewhere. Aren't we having a holy, lovely time? Yeah, where are we going to go with it? Where should we take this now? That's the mission that Jesus gave them, and that's exactly what the Holy Spirit pushed them to. They didn't know why they were on the street, but he knew. All these people are hearing them speaking about the works of God, and then Peter stands up and preaches a sermon, probably you know, in Hebrew or Aramaic, so we would understand. And, and 3,000 people come to Jesus that day. 3,000 people. Let's go back to Acts 1. I said we go around circle and we come back again. So Jesus has been taken up from them and a cloud is receding from their sight. They don't see him go what, what, into the stratosphere. You know, the clouds cover his progress, or if you imagine it that way. And they're standing there. Where'd he go? Where'd he go? Or something like that. Two angels turn up and say, men of Galilee, why are you still looking in the sky? This same Jesus will come back. Get back down to Jerusalem is what they're saying. Now, they went back to Jerusalem, to the Mass. Jesus ascended from them, was taken away from them 40 days after Passover. Pentecost happens 50 days after Passover. So guess how long they had to wait in Jerusalem? Ten days. Some of us can't wait five minutes. <laughs> Ten whole days, they simply had to wait until something happened which they weren't quite sure what it was going to be, but it was Jesus had promised that he would send the Holy Spirit. They knew it was going to happen, but they had to wait for it. And when the day of Pentecost had fully come, suddenly, Amen. the place was shaken, the, the wind blew in on them, the tongues of fire appeared to them. And, and that was all the Holy Spirit getting their attention because then as, as they were filled with the Holy Spirit, Suddenly they're turned into what Jesus always told them to be. You will be my witnesses. 
The harvest is not yet finished. The furthest corners of human societies have not all been reached with this good news of Jesus. But here's the thing. Even within our estates and neighbourhoods here in Harlow, there are people yet to hear the good news of Jesus. Right. Yeah. They don't know. They, don't, they really don't know. And I'm not talking about any one racial, cultural group. All kinds of people really don't, they have not a clue about who Jesus is and what he did. So there is work still to be done. And it's to be done not by just massive effort on our part, an organisation. It has to be done through the enabling person and presence of the Holy Spirit. You will receive authority. And then you'll be my witnesses. And what God did on the day of Pentecost was totally beyond them. Utterly beyond what they could do. And as they preached the gospel, as they took the good news, God worked with them in signs and wonders. Signs and wonders are not to entertain the church. They're to impress the world. This, this gospel's true. This, this Jesus heals people. And I've, I've been in church life many years, and I've, I've seen periods of time when people knew that this church would pray for, for women who couldn't have children, and that they'd concede. And people came from all kinds of religious backgrounds to get their, to get, you know, their, their wife prayed for, you know. And we say, when, when you have a baby, bring, it, bring him back or her back, and we, you know, we'll, we'll give thanks to you. Did they all become Christians? No, they didn't all become Christians. But there was a reputation that God was with these people. Amen. And I believe we need to see more and more of that to break down the prejudices, to break down the barriers that stand between people seeing us as being the church and over here. But no, actually, we're here for the world. To bring good news by the power of the Spirit to the world. It's not just words, it's not just information. It's the authority of God. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the, here's the word again, the power of God to save everyone who believes. It's not just information, it has authority. It makes things happen. Why? Because the Holy Spirit's at work in in it. If you even with stumbling words, you know, your heart bursting out your chest, share the gospel with something, somebody, guess what? There's a seed been sown. And the Holy Spirit, by His authority, can make that come into life at any moment. Any moment. It's His authority. It's His power. Uh, Let me round up here. What we learn of the Holy Spirit's presence and power amongst ourselves as the church is to be taken beyond our community into the world around us. Let me give you some for instances. If we, some of us, are learning to hear the voice of God through the Spirit so we can speak to one another encouragingly, prophetically, we can hear the Lord uh, have a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom that brings some in- instruction and enlightenment to a situation, guess what? Take it to the world. Yes. The same thing. It's not, Jesus, this is not locked into church. It's the work of the Spirit. You learn how to be, that. you learn how to cooperate with Him. Go and take it yes. to the world. Remember, that's how Jesus brought a Samaritan woman to faith. He told her about her life and she hadn't told him a word. Yes? Yes. Jesus spoke prophetically with insight to the woman. And guess what? By the Holy Spirit, we can do the same things. Yeah? Not because we know everything about everybody. God help me, I don't want to know everything about everybody. I'd, I'd soon be asking the Lord to turn that one off. Walk along the street. 
But he will tell you what you need to know so you can deal with that person and help them towards faith. We need to be open to it. Beyond church, if we learn to pray for one another as the family of God, to pray care for one another when someone's sick or in need, guess what? We then go and do it to unbelieving people. It's like, well, you're very ill, you're, you're very upset. Could I, would you mind if I prayed for you? Do you know, people very rarely say no to being prayed for. Very rarely say no to being prayed for. And signs and wonders are given by the Holy Spirit, not for our sake, but for their sake. Because it's a sign to Jesus and a wonder, so they wonder. I, 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 don't, I don't need to wonder whether God is real. I kind of know that by now. But it's a wonder so they know God is real. So the work of the Holy Spirit is not just to make Jesus known to us, but through us to the world. Therefore, his work in us is also to make us living examples to the world of the life of Jesus and the continuing authority of Jesus. He's not just my personal private master. He is the king of the world. He's the rightful son and heir of all things. Scripture says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. In a few minutes, we're going to break bread together. Our time is reserved still to make to do that. But let's take a few moments to pray together now. And I'm going to suggest to you that while we're breaking bread, you could come forward and be prayed for. At the end of the morning, we'll make, some, make sure there's some people available. If you want to be prayed for at the end of the morning, we'll pray for you. If you want to take some time together with us tonight to come to the prayer meeting, and during that time, we'll pray for you to be filled with the Spirit, to receive the Spirit. Come this evening. We'll do it again then. But do not give up on this thought that every one of us needs to obey this instruction of Scripture. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Why? Because every one of us is designed to live this Christian life not without his help. Amen. Husband, wife, child, parent, employer, employee, all of life. We need to have the Holy Spirit helping us to live a spirit-led, spirit-directed, spirit-equipped way of life. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Take a moment now to settle in your heart. Your response to him today. It's his word to us. It's what he designed us for. It's what the Lord designed us for, to live this life by his help, by his power. <clears throat> Have you ever known what it is to be taken beyond yourself, filled with the Holy Spirit? For your tongue to be running away with inspired speech. You've known what it is to hear the voice of God. It doesn't have to be the way I hear it. You know, I'm not suggesting that's necessary. But you know when God's speaking to you. You know when God's giving you something for someone else to help them. You might say that's an extraordinary way of life. We are extraordinary people if we're filled with the Spirit. We're not ordinary mortals. We're something else, man.
I have one more scripture to kind of drop into you. Joe and I were at a conference day yesterday talking together. It's the one where Jesus says, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? There is not one bit of unwillingness on the part of God to fill you with his Holy Spirit. Not one bit of unwillingness. The struggle is perhaps faith. Why don't you say, Lord, please, help my unbelief. Fill me with your Spirit. Blessed be your name. Glory to your name, Lord Jesus. Forgive us, Lord, for treating the life of faith as one corner of our life and everything else as something else. You want to invade all of our life. Fill it with your presence. Fill it with your joy. Fill it with your peace. Fill it with your power your authority. You want us to be filled with you by the Holy Spirit so that we do not live without help, without equipping, without empowering, without wisdom, without direction. We acknowledge before you we're weak, we can mess up in all sorts of ways, but you are our helper. You are our strength. And we look for the equipping presence of God by the Holy Spirit not just week by week, we, we struggle to live on that kind of ration. But day by day, even hour by hour, we want to be calling to you and receiving from you. Speaking to you, you speaking to us. You directing us, both as individuals and as a community and as people who represent you wherever we are in your world. We're not trying to be witnesses. You tell us that when we're filled with the Spirit, we'll be witnesses. We'll have something people will want. We thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for your promise. Thank you for your faithful word. Blessed be your name, Lord. Can we break bread? And if you want prayer, please come forward. I don't mind. Some of us don't.